All right, we're continuing our study in the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Last time we saw David's desire to bring the uh, Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and what all that entailed. And it's interesting to see his heart as he became leader of Israel over all the tribes of Israel. He wanted to bring that presence of the Lord and the Ark of the Covenant close to everyone. So uh, it's a good thing to see his heart and how he wants to lead the people. He's very concerned about the things of the Lord, and that's a real good thing to see in leadership. Uh, so here we jump into this next section here. David's got some more uh, things he wants to deal with. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent, tents and curtains. So here's David. He had this thought that, you know, we've, we've got the, the ark of the covenant, but it's always kept in a tent. It's always in uh, something that's, you know, not much of a building at all. And he's got this really nice home that was built for him when he became king. Remember, one of the neighboring kings decided to get a few points there, and he had all this cedar brought in and brought this really probably magnificent home for David. So David's thinking, well, I've got a very nice place to live, but we've got the Ark of the Covenant still sitting inside of a tent. Now, that was God's design to have it in the tent because they were going to be left very portable, you know, as so the Lord was going to be having them move in different places. But David now, as he's got time to think about it, as you can see, it says the Lord gave him rest from all of his enemies all around. So he's not fighting all the time. He's not got to think about the next battle. Right now, he's actually in a time of peace. So through that time, it's very interesting where his mind goes. You know, when, when we're in a, a good and peaceful time, do our thoughts turn to the Lord or to ourself? You know, I really appreciate David's heart here. He could be kicking back and say, man, this is great, you know, what am I going to do now? Go to the beach or what am I going to do? And instead, he's sitting there thinking about the Lord. And in his mind, it's uh, how are we treating the Lord? You know, if we're taking such good care of ourselves and we're not taking care of the Lord as, as he thought he should. So David here is very interesting as the Lord lets us see a little bit more of his heart. You know, he's probably thinking, why am I living in this, this permanent dwelling place that's very beautiful and very sturdy, and here my large dwelling in a tent, uh, you know, a tabernacle. So this bothered David. Now, the Lord lives in our body as New Testament believers, right? We're told our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So just as David wanted to improve where the Lord was dwelling as he, he was thinking this through, we maybe need to examine our home, our body, and ask, you know, are there any major improvements that are needed to renovate this place for the Lord? And I'm not talking about the outside of the structure. You know, when we, we think about the things of the Lord, the Lord's concerned about the inside of us. You know, the Old Testament and uh, some of the Pharisees and that, they were a lot of times concerned about the outer look of things. They kept up the religious look, but their heart was far from God. So the Lord is interested on the inside. So when we think about our body and being the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the most important part, our heart and our life and our time. Uh, is there something that needs major improvement there? Just like uh, David was concerned about the Lord having a better place to dwell and that may be something we can examine our, our life with too. So as we go through our study today, 
Begin to ask yourself, you know, is my life, is it the place where my Lord is dwelling? Is it the most beautiful place that I can offer to him? You know, and if you find at the end of the, the self-evaluation after the study here and you say, you know, I, I really see now I've got some, some areas, some rooms in my life that really need to be fixed and, and it needs to be a better place for the Lord, then ask the Lord to help you make a better home where he is going to be well-pleased, you know, living in your life there. Now, two, David's intentions here were good. He wanted to build a better dwelling place for the Lord, so there's nothing wrong with him having this thought and considering it. But David has learned that before you start any project, especially one of this importance, you should first check with the Lord. So he, he kind of does that. He brought his thoughts before God's prophet, Nathan. And that's what it says here, you know. He, he went to Nathan in verse 2, and he kind of ran it past him to see what he would think. So verse 3, Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, I think when David's going to a prophet here that he knows is in communication with the Lord, the Lord speaks through him, and he runs this past him, he's thinking whatever this guy tells me must be from the Lord, okay? But Nathan here did something very interesting because he, he tells David, sure, you know, go ahead, uh, the Lord will bless you in this thing, and the Lord is leading you in what you do. So it's kind of like this is a thumbs up from the Lord. But he made a, a rather strange mistake here. Nathan spoke before he checked with the Lord himself. And that's kind of strange, you know. Here he's the prophet. Our assumption is he's in communion with the Lord, he's listening to the Lord, and he's seeking the Lord for answers. Now, just because he's a prophet, though, he can't speak and think he's automatically speaking for the Lord. He has to check things out before he speaks and gives the impression that he's representing the Lord in what he says. So in Nathan's mind, just trying to figure out where is he coming from, he must have thought, well, you know, it sounds okay to the king and it sounds okay to me. It makes sense that, sure, if you're living in a really nice home and you want to make a nicer home for the Lord, makes sense, okay? Then it must automatically be okay with the Lord, but think about this, how many times have we been reminded to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and do not lean on our own understanding? So Nathan the prophet made that mistake here. He leaned on his own understanding and he's making a mistake because of that. And we'll see that in a little bit here. So we need to be careful, you know, when we speak for the Lord. We might think we know what the Lord wants done. But when it comes to specific situ situations, and especially God's timing on things, we'd better check with him first before we say, I think the Lord wants us to do this, you know? So there's nothing wrong with us saying, wait just a minute. You know, let's pray about this first and see where the Lord leads us. So the Lord never minds us asking him questions. He loves to hear from us. And I think most of us are probably way too quiet when it comes to talking to the Lord anyway. So don't ever hesitate to ask the Lord for direction and for guidance. Uh, look down to verse 4. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? So the Lord is going to kind of interrupt this conversation that Nathan and David had earlier because they weren't hearing things correctly from the Lord. And uh, I thank the Lord when he interrupts us like that, you know. 
when we think we got something down here and the Lord all of a sudden throws a verse in front of you or you hear another believer say something, you're thinking, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, you know? So it's really good when the Lord does this. I appreciate him doing that. Now, I'm not sure how this plays into things, and I don't know if you caught this or noticed it, but David is called the king in verses 1 to 3 here, if you notice. It just says, you know, the king was dwelling in his house, and the king said to Nathan, and Nathan said to the king, okay? But when we get to verse 5, where the Lord starts to speak, the Lord refers to David as my servant, so it's interesting, I think, the Lord gives us details for a reason, and like I said, I'm not absolutely sure how it fits in, but it, it looks like this to me at this point. You've got a king here coming up with an idea, and a prophet who's probably thinking, hey, he's the king. So I'm thinking if the king comes up with what sounds like a good idea, then I'm going to go along with it because he's the king. And then you have this king after running his idea past the prophet, and the prophet, you know, gives him a thumbs up, so the king is thinking, well, good, you know, then it must be God's will because the prophet said it was okay, and he is a prophet, so I think it looks to me like there's a lot of assumptions going on here. It looks like they both believe the other person because of the person's position, because the guy was a king and the other guy's a prophet. So this is a big caution, you know, to anyone who has... Uh, had this opportunity where they've had a position, some kind of position uh, with the Lord. Just because you have a position or a title like pastor or something, don't assume that everything that you come up with is a thought that comes, you know, right from the Lord. And that you're not, you're like speaking ex cathedra, you know, or it's got to be the Lord talking because the pastor said. No, you need to check that out with the Lord too and check it out with his word. Uh, talk to the Lord in prayer. So as we're, we're speaking and representing to the Lord, we, we need to be careful not to assume that we know what the Lord's thinking, uh, we, if especially in specific situations like this. We need to stop and pray. And, and Nathan would have been wise to say, well, David, let me take this before the Lord and see what the Lord says. But you don't see that here. You just sound like he's, he's on, on target already. So we're going to see here that these guys, they end up with a leg on their face, because they assumed to speak for God before they spoke to God. So look at verse 6 here. Here's the Lord talking now, and he asks this question, Will you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and tabernacle. And that's why they were in the tent and tabernacle situation, because of the constant moving. He said, wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So the Lord explained that he's been in a mobile dwelling place, a tent, for a reason. And it's been ever since he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and he brought them to a better place. And during all that time, he said, I never complained to anybody. You know, I never brought this issue up. So he's not requesting that anybody should have to build him a more permanent structure to dwell in. And it's interesting to watch the Lord deal with this. Here's David who in his heart, he thinks, you know, it's not fair that I've got a nice home and the Lord's got a tent for the tabernacle. We need to get something nicer. 
So in his heart, that's what he's thinking. But from the Lord's perspective, it's like, that's not my plan right now. That's not the time that I want something like this done. So he said, I, I didn't bring this up at all. It's, it's interesting, like I said, the Lord doesn't rebuke them, but he's kind of gently making a correction here as they, they think this one through with the Lord. And I know, if you're like me, you know, when, when the Lord is changing something or correcting something in your life, it's so much nicer when he, he does it in a very subtle way like that, you know, rather than having to come up and kind of slap you a little bit to get your attention first and then deliver the news to you that you're going the wrong direction, you know. It's much nicer when he says, you know, you need to turn at this next left here, you know, make a, make a gentle turn. So come up to uh, verse 8 then. Now, therefore, the Lord's still talking here, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, in charge of all the hosts of heaven, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. So notice here, the Lord again calls David his servant. So I think it's interesting is, you know, he's been looked upon as the king, and, David, and the Lord reminds him, you're my servant. You're my servant. He keeps bringing that up. So it's a real good reminder for David that even though you're the king over Israel, you are my servant. And the Lord speaks to him that way. That's a good reminder for us too, you know. No matter what level we get to in this world, we should never forget that first and foremost, we're a servant of the Lord. And that's, that's where... We, we do our best work as a servant of the Lord, staying in that humble position. And the Lord also, he wanted to remind David where he took him from. You know, he says here in verse 8 again, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep. Now, I don't know if we, we catch all of that there, but that's probably the lowest working position in their culture. <laughs> there isn't anything that I know of that would really be lower than that. So he's saying, I took you from the lowest spot in, in this culture, and I raised you to the highest position to put you over my people here. So the Lord wanted him to be reminded of that and something that he should remember. So in your life, think about where God took you from. Where were you when the Lord came to you and drew you to himself? And how far the Lord has brought you now? in order to serve him. And, and this helps us, I think, keep that perspective of, the Lord has done all this in my life so he can, I can serve him, so he can work through me and minister to other people. So don't forget, too, that we are called to serve the Lord. So wherever you're at today, you know, you are to be his servant right there. And aren't you glad that God called us to be his servant? He could have left us wandering in the world, you know, so very, very thankful for what the Lord has done. And I'm sure David, if you asked him right here too, uh, how, do you, how do you feel about what the Lord has done in your life, David? <laughs> He'd probably say, it's amazing. I used to be out there with the sheep, you know, and nobody respects the guy with the sheep. And yet the Lord had a job for me to do and he raised me to the highest position so I could watch over his people, not just watch over some sheep. So, yeah, I think David would be thrilled, too, where the Lord brought him. Verse 9 goes on. <clears throat> I've been with you, the Lord says to David, wherever you have gone. And that means a lot in their culture because a lot of the pagans around them, 
they had gods, but they were territorial gods. So you had a god of the valley or you had the god of the hill. And if ever you went to battle, you wanted to make sure you were fighting where your god was, where you thought he was. And they're all false gods and demons. But uh, the Lord here encourages David. He said, I've been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I've made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. So these are some some beautiful blessings from the Lord that David has in his life now because of what God has done. So think about that. He first of all mentions God's presence. That's the first blessing there. He's got God's presence with him no matter where he goes. So even when it was, he was on the run from King Saul, you know, and having to hide in caves and stuff, the Lord was with him. So during David's most difficult times and during David's greatest victories, the presence of the Lord never left him. That's an awesome blessing. The second blessing he mentioned there is God's protection. You know, the Lord gave David victory after victory until all of David's enemies were defeated. That's what it says there. You know, I cut off all your enemies from before you. So that's an awesome blessing to know you have God's protection in your life. And he also mentions here, uh, mentions God's blessing of greatness. Because David obeyed the Lord, the Lord exalted him to a high place and gave him a great name. Like it says, the name of the great men who are on the earth. And you think about this, we've been blessed like David, you know, uh, since we had this opportunity to come to the Lord and receive Christ. We've got very similar blessings. Uh, First of all, God's presence. Jesus promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. So just like the Lord here when he says to David, I was with you, I'm with you wherever you go. The Lord could say that to each one of us. He's with us wherever we go. You know, secondly, God's protection David had. Well, God leads us to victory over our enemy, the devil. So we've got that same protection from the Lord too. And God's blessing of greatness he offered him. You know, we are now a child of, the child of the king, a son of our father, you know, who's the God of Israel and the God of over all creation. So yeah, we kind of got a great name from the Lord too. So those blessings God is reminding David of, man, we've got very similar blessings as New Testament believers. Uh, Come down to verse 10. He says, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. That means a permanent dwelling place, right? He says, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. So that would stop. And he says, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. So Lord says, I can, I can stop all the enemy problems that you've had and will have. And then it says, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. So the Lord promised that he's going to make a permanent home for Israel. That day was coming. So David's kind of ahead of the ball game a little bit here. The Lord has got that plan, but it's got to be in God's timing. So they wouldn't be on the move all the time. That's what God wanted for them. He actually wants to plant them there, he said, which is pretty cool. I like the way the Lord says things. You know, when you plant something, you're expecting it to grow. So he said that's what his plan is for Israel. And the Lord even promised here that he would protect them from their enemies in the future so they wouldn't continually be oppressed by them. And that's pretty nice to know that your enemies aren't going to be a problem when I get to that point 
where I've got you here, I planted you, you're not going to move, and I'll, I'll take care of your enemies. You don't have to sweat that one. So again, the Lord has promised a future permanent home uh, to live with him forever, and we've been blessed with that, right? The Lord has promised us, you'll be in my presence for all eternity because we have eternal life of receiving Jesus Christ. So we know the day is coming when our enemy is going to be put away for good. So we're blessed in the day where we're never going to have to worry about our enemy again once we're in the presence of the Lord. So when the Lord casts him in the lake of fire, um, he's never going to be able to oppress us ever again. So just as we see again the blessings the Lord is promising to David here, we can understand these same blessings ourselves, and they have a lot of application for us too. Now the Lord went on to promise David that he's going to build a house for David at the end of that, verse 11. And that's an interesting thought. Because the Lord said uh, at the end of verse 11 again, the Lord tells you he will make a house for you. So here David starts out the day thinking, I want to make a house for the Lord. And the Lord's now turning around wanting to bless David and let him know I have a blessing for you. I'm going to make a house for you. And it's not going to be a physical structure he's talking about. We'll see as we look further. So the Lord's going to bless David in the same way that David wanted to bless the Lord. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> if we had a desire right now, we, we question ourselves, we wouldn't make this public to embarrass us, but say, what would you like to do for the Lord? And whatever's in your heart, you know, the Lord said, I'm turning that around and I'm going to bless you in that. Wow, that'd be pretty cool. You know, hopefully we're thinking about the Lord. <laughs> we have that thought. But David wanted to build a permanent house for the Lord, and the Lord turned it around and said, I'm going to build your family, David, and uh, it's always going to have a permanent home in God's plan for God's future kingdom. And the Lord then goes on to explain how he's going to do that. So in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your father, so this is after David has finished the work God has for him, he said, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So this was a promise to keep David's family line on the throne. And you know, as we've been looking through the Old Testament and seeing some of these kings and different people that have come through, the big deal for them is to keep our family line in royalty. They want to always have that happen. The Lord just promised David in your life is going to happen. I'm going to make sure. So this would be a comfort for David to know that after he finished all the work God has for him to do uh, in his lifetime after he's gone, the Lord's going to be the one to establish his son's kingdom. And that's a pretty awesome blessing coming from the Lord. So you think about it from our perspective, that should be a good comfort for us too. To know that God's going to establish his own son's kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we are going to dwell in. And, you know, that might be in our lifetime that the Lord starts to set that up or after we're gone too. But either way, the Lord's will is going to be done. Interesting thing for David here. He's not going to see this. The Lord is telling him it's after you're gone. So David, if he's going to believe what the Lord says here, which we'll see he does, it's going to lead him to praise. And that shows that he's trusting the Lord. I believe what you told me is true, even though I'm not even going to see it in this life. Uh, verse 13, he shall, talking about his son now, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the Lord let David know here that he's going to be the one to build a house 
but uh, it's not going to be for the Lord. It, it, uh, David's son is going to be the one that's going to have this house built for him. And it's really cool, you know, that David's son is going to get this honor. David wants to do this just out of his love for the Lord. But the Lord's saying, no, I'm going to have your son do that. That's my plan for him. So he's been gently letting David know that he appreciated David's heart in wanting to build that permanent home for the Lord. But he wants him to know, it's not my time yet, David. I, I'm not ready to do that. Uh, it's eventually going to happen through your son, but uh, it's not going to happen right now. now. I want you to see something. Look over at 1 Kings chapter 8, because it gives us a little bit more insight here. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 17. It fills in a little bit of the gap, because the Lord gives us part of the story here, but there's a little bit more to it that I think uh, really helps us understand What's going on from the Lord's perspective? First Kings chapter 8 down to verse 17. Now it was in the heart of my father David, this is Solomon talking, as he's getting ready to dedicate the temple here. It was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, and look what it says here, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So we're told here very, very clearly that the Lord said he did well and that it was in his heart that he wanted to do that. So the Lord's not upset with David as, as wanting to do this thing. It's just he's trying to slow him down a little bit saying, it's not my time right now to have this happen. It's on the program, but your son's going to be the one involved with it. So, you know, we might want to see the Lord do something specific for his kingdom in our lifetime. You know, maybe we're asking the Lord to use us to do something, whatever that might be that's on your heart. But the Lord might be saying the same thing to us. You know, it's still in my plan, and this is going to happen, but it's going to happen at a later time. And God has reasons for the time schedule for his future plans. We don't understand all of the timing that he has lined up for stuff. We just trust him. You know, we need to be content that he's told us he's going to have a future kingdom. Things are going to happen, and we might want to be part of, some, part of that. And, you know, it's a good thing to have it in our heart, but the Lord might say, uh, it's good that you want to do that as well, but it's not going to happen in your lifetime. And we just need to say, okay, Lord, we're, we're okay with that. Now go on to verse 14 back in uh, 2 Samuel 7. Verse 14, he says, I will be his father. Talking about Solomon now. We know who this future king is going to be. It's King Solomon, the son of David. He said, I will be his father and he shall be my son. So he's saying that's the kind of relationship I'm going to have with him. It's a very loving relationship. And he said, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But, he says, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So here the Lord is letting him know that he's going to lovingly discipline Solomon if he steps out of line. But David doesn't have to worry that his son's going to be rejected from God's plan, you know, like David witnessed with King Saul. He saw King Saul go so far that the Lord said, I'm done with you and I'm tearing the kingdom away from you. So can you imagine here, David personally witnessed King Saul self-destruct to a point where the Lord rejected him and had to remove the kingdom from him. And now David's knowing this, that I don't have to worry about my own son. 
The Lord said if he steps out of line, I'm going to discipline him as a father. But you don't have to worry that I'm going to take everything away from him. My mercy will not depart from him. So what a blessing to know that. How would you like to know that about your children? You know that the Lord says, hey, I know you see me deal really harshly with some leaders at points in time. But your child is going to be in a very high position too. But I'm not going to deal with them in that way. I'm going to be uh, the father to them. They'll be my son. And if they need discipline, I'll use the rod on them, you know, because I love them. But you don't have to worry about me taking them out of the plan. They're in the plan. What a blessing from the Lord to know your, your children are in my plan for the rest of the day. So you don't have to worry about that. So verse 16 goes on in Second uh, Samuel 7 again. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So the Lord went on to declare to David that his kingdom is going to be established forever. And that meant that the Messiah is going to come through David's family line. And I think David understood that. Uh, the Lord mentions here too, he mentions the word forever twice. You know, boy, you talk about a permanent home for the Lord to say, I'm going to have your family here forever. It's like, wow, that's, that's pretty permanent, Lord. So he's letting David know that you wanted to build a permanent home for me. I'm building a permanent home for your family, that you don't ever have to worry that your family's not going to be in part of God's plan. Again, what an awesome thing. Look how the Lord shows us this in the New Testament, because this is uh, very relevant for us, uh, especially in our day and age where there's a lot of skeptics around here. But uh, look at uh, Luke chapter 1 and look down to verse 30. Here's the uh, announcement to Mary from the angel and it says, Behold, in verse uh, 30, I'm sorry, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him, notice here, the throne of of his father, David. So this is that fulfillment of the promise coming through David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and is of his kingdom. There will be no end. So there's that forever coming out. Uh, look over to Romans chapter 1 as Paul says something about this as well. Romans chapter 1 at verse 1. says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And look what it says here, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So again, the Lord is very clear that he's fulfilling this promise he made to David way back here when he kind of opened the door a little bit and let David look in to see God's future plan. And uh, this is also, when we see these New Testament passages that go with us, uh, this is also one of the strong evidences that we can use to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, you know, to prove that he came from the family line of David, and that was part of God's plan. And uh, we find it being brought out very clearly here in 2 Samuel. So back in 2 Samuel 7 again, look at David's heart in our passage here. He had a good idea, and he had a right motive. But the Lord still said no to him. And you know, when we've got a plan uh, for something that we want to see accomplished from the Lord, it might seem like a good thing, and we might even have the right motive. 
but God can say no to us. You know, but don't be discouraged about that. I mean, God's pleased that we want to do things that would bless him. He's not upset about that at all. But we have to respect God's timetable, and we have to respect God's right to say no. Okay? Very often when the Lord says no, we know this as well, that he's going to do something even greater down the road. You know, I mean, here's David. He's concerned about building a permanent structure, and the Lord's more concerned about building an eternal kingdom. <laughs> you know, so he's got a much bigger plan in store. So when the thing happens that the Lord's planning in your life, maybe that he said no to at one point in time, but he's, he's got something going in your life, when that thing happens, we're going to be so grateful the Lord did it his way instead of our way, you know? Have you ever wanted something very badly, you know, from the Lord and he said no? But then later on, you were so thankful that he said no at that, that beginning point, right? Uh, I remember back in high school when I was dating some gal and wondering in the back of my mind, you know, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one I marry down the road? And I'm so very thankful the Lord was saying, nope, 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 <laughs> because he was going to bless me so much more through my wife, Lisa. And I'm very, very thankful. And I've told the Lord that in the past, too. I said, thank you so much, Lord, that you made me wait until I met her, you know. She's much better, excuse me, than anybody I had my eyes on back then. So don't be upset when the Lord says no. Just give him time. And down the road, you may stand, you may be wanting to send God a giant thank you card. Thank you so much that you, you didn't say yes back then. So back to our passage in 2 Samuel 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and he sat before the Lord. And the Lord's really dumped a whole lot of stuff here on David of blessing after blessing. And David just went in and he sat down before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? David was so blessed and so overwhelmed by what the Lord had just told him through Nathan, that David just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. He just wanted to go and sit down, you know, in the tent of meeting there and, and just be in the Lord's presence and just talk with the Lord and spend some time with him. Have you ever just wanted to sit down and talk with the Lord? You know, I hope you start your day out that way every day with your quiet time. It's not just an exercise that we go through. The Lord actually wants to talk with you you know, during the time, every morning. I hope you can say, you know, that you've had some of the most amazing times when you had your quiet time with the Lord. And I can tell you that some of the most amazing times that I've seen wasn't when the Lord was actually showing me something for me, but it was when he was showing me something that he wanted me to use to encourage somebody else, you know, and he laid them on my heart for that time too. So those things have blown me away when that kind of thing has happened. You know, I've gone to my quiet time and I might be praying about somebody and then the Lord leads me to a passage and it's just right on target uh, what they need to hear and I may be able to try to encourage them with that. So when, when that happens, it's like, wow. You talk about some, some very powerful evidence, you know, that the Lord is real. It's like, wow. And I know somebody, is, this helps you understand it better when somebody asked Billy Graham one time and they said, how do you know God is real? And Billy answered, he said, well, I just talked to him this morning. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Verse 18 goes on. <clears throat> so 
Sorry, I'm a little emotional today. I didn't get much sleep last night. We had too long a party going on. <laughs> Thank you guys who were involved in that too to bless me on my birthday thing. That was great. <clears throat> Verse 18 goes on. After David wanted to sit before the Lord, he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? So what do you think of David's questions here? You know, we can really see the humbleness of David's heart. He knows that he didn't deserve any of the blessings that God promised him. And neither do we. You know, we should always remain humble before the Lord. Verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. You've talked about my family line way down the road. And he said, is this the manner of man, O Lord God? So David's saying, you did some, you got some amazing, great things you've already done in my life and some even more amazing things you've promised me you're going to do down the road. And, you know, because the Messiah is actually going to come through his, his line. And David says, this is a small thing in your sight, Lord. And what he's saying is, God is so powerful, this was an easy thing for him to do. You know, God didn't even work up a sweat in, in doing this stuff for David. And David understands that it's such an amazing thing and God is so powerful to, to kind of come down to David and bless him this way. So he's really, really blown away in, in what's going on. And David knew that God has spoken of his family line so far down the road. He said, you know, your servant's house you've spoken of for a great while to come. Uh, can you imagine that as the Lord promised these things to David, that his name is still being remembered today? thousands of years later, you know, because the Messiah has not returned yet to set up his kingdom. And, and how would it be to know that your name is going to be remembered throughout history, you know? Whenever the Messiah of Israel was spoken of through the prophecies, your name's coming up. Wow. I think it was hitting David to understand, wow, what you're blessing me with, you know? And at the end of verse 19, David was basically saying, is this all normal for the Lord to treat people like this? I mean, how are you doing with me? So he knows that God has blessed him personally way beyond measure from the norm. He understands that. Do you have an all that the Lord, knowing that the Lord has blessed you personally way beyond what you deserve? You know, I hope you don't have the modern American view of entitlement you think God owed you all the blessings you've received. Verse 20 goes on. Now what more can David say to you? So here's David. He's brought to a point where he doesn't know what to say. I hope you've been there. You know where the Lord's blessed you so much and you've realized it. You're like, I don't even know what to say, Lord. Thank you so much. And he says here, for you, Lord God, you know your servant. You know everything about me. I like what somebody said about this. I said, this is such a beautiful place to be, responding to the grace of God. He said, what can you say? Verse 21, David says, for your word's sake and according to your own heart, he says, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. He's saying, Lord, you did all these amazing things in my life, not because I'm so great, but it's because you're so great. And that's how awesome our God is. 
And that's a beautiful attitude to have before the Lord. You know, all praise and honor and glory goes to him. So verse 22, he goes on, he says, Now therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. This is one of those verses to read slowly and just meditate on what it says. There are no other gods. Allah, the so-called God of Islam, he is no God. All these replicas and statues of gods all over the world, there are no other gods. There's only one. They don't exist. Our God is the only true God. And David gives that praise to him very clearly here. So this is one of those verses, yeah, you can just slowly go over that and meditate as you read that over and over. It's like, wow, what an awesome, simple, yet powerful praise to our God. And uh, it's interesting, verse 23 says, Who is like your people, like Israel? Who's like these people, Israel? What he's seen God do there. The one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. He redeemed them from the nations and redeemed them from their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Now, these are some forgotten verses today. There are so many people against Israel, even in the churches in our country. And yet, these verses I just read are in my Bible, and they're still in your Bible, and they're still in the Bible of those people who reject Israel. And, you know, some have tried to tell me that the word forever in the Bible doesn't always mean forever. They're talking about Israel, situations like this. So this is a great passage just to check out that thought. Let's see if the word forever means forever, okay? Because the Lord uses it like four times, if you notice, in the passage here. So <laughs> they don't, you mean to tell me you don't want the word forever that's used in here when it talks about Israel, the kingdom, and the, the, the Messiah coming? You, do you want the word forever applied to Messiah and his kingdom or not? They'd obviously say, amen, yes, we want the Messiah's kingdom forever. Well, what about when the Lord talks about Israel being his blessed people forever? Do you like that one? No, that word can't mean forever there. Okay, why is that? It's their theology that's talking so loudly. But I had to laugh. I'm thinking this is a great place to go to check that one out. The word forever, same word is used so many times over and over. Sometimes for Messiah, Messiah's kingdom, but also it's used for Israel. So that's why you hear us praying for Israel, loving Israel, always acknowledging Israel. God's still working there. He's not done there. Okay, I know right now they're not walking with the Lord, but he's not finished. And uh, for, for people that come up with that funny idea that forever doesn't always mean forever, let's check out your theology in this passage right here and see what you think. Does that make sense looking at that? <clears throat> Verse 25 goes on. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So David latches onto this promise of God here. You know, he's, he's been thinking, well, I didn't deserve any of this stuff. But now, Lord, you promised it. So I'm asking the Lord, fulfill that promise. Man, he's, he's holding on to that. And you know, the Lord's not upset when you and I stand on his promises at all. 
uh, he gave them to us so we would use them and appreciate them. So, so don't ever worry you know, about taking God at his word and then standing on his promises. He's not embarrassed by that and Lord isn't upset. He loves it when we trust him enough to say, Lord, you promised this and I, I'm trusting you in that one. I believe that. So Lord, please fulfill that in my life. Verse 26 goes on, so let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the Lord, is the God of over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. And it says here, you know, let your name be magnified. And I like that when Steve was teaching on that, the illustration he used of uh, being magnified is like looking through a magnifying glass and how large things can look in there. And that's what David is saying about your name. May it be magnified, you know. And how'd you like the way he said that uh, in verse 26 there? Let your name be magnified forever. Well, there's that forever word again. You think they'd put an amen on that one? I think they'd say, yeah, we want God's name magnified forever. But look, look at the rest of that statement. What name is David talking about to be magnified forever? The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. Wow, there it is again, the Lord focusing on Israel. Verse 27, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. So David's rejoicing and rejoicing in this promise from the Lord. And I think the Lord loves it when we get so excited about his promises. You know, I was thinking about this. I know as a grandparent that it brings so much joy when your grandkids are, are all excited about something you said you're going to do for them. You know, and they're so excited you have to run and tell everybody. You know what Papa's going to do? He said he's going to do this. And they're telling all the folks. And that's the kind of joy. I think the Lord has one. He gives us a promise. We get excited and say, Lord, I can't believe you said this. You know, one of the ones that come to mind right away is when the Lord said, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Can you imagine getting excited about that? Lord, thank you so much. I want to be a fisherman. Thank you. You promised that. And we run with that one. I don't think the Lord is saying, oh man, they found my secret promise. I was hoping they wouldn't find it. That's not what he's doing. So I can just imagine how excited the Lord is when we get excited about his promises. Verse 28. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. That's one of those verses, too, you can just read it and meditate it and go over that one. Now therefore let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. So more continued excitement about what God was going to do through David's life. And again, we've got a bunch of the use of the term forever here. So if somebody ever challenges you on that term, take them to this passage and say, let's read this together and see which ones you like and which ones you don't, because <laughs> it's the same word. That's why we need to trust what God says in his word, not worry about our theology. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it looks bad when your theology gets challenged by a passage like this. So here's a picture of, of David. He had a good idea. He trusted the prophet when he said, of, instead of you know, hearing it from the Lord, finally the Lord steps in and says, you want to know my will, I'm going to tell you, David. And he shows him a giant blessing coming in his life. So I don't know what the Lord has planned you know, for you and me. I know this, though. We are a servant of the Lord. 
So as, as we seek to follow the Lord, and maybe we have ideas of, Lord, I'd like to do this for you. I'd like to do that. The Lord does not mind us bringing that up before him. But don't be upset if the Lord says no, because he's got his reasons and he's got his plans. And it may be that he's got something much greater down the road than we could even imagine. You know, he tells us in his word, he wants to bless us even more than we could even think or imagine or even guess at, right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray today, Lord, that, that you would help people understand and hear your word despite the uh, emotional things, Lord, that, that have popped up on me today, Lord. But I thank you for the lessons you teach us. Thank you for the heart of David as you've let us see him, Lord, and see his humbleness before you and his excitement to want to follow you. And I pray, Lord, help us to have that kind of excitement when we come to your word. That when we see a promise, we say, Lord, did you really say that to me? And we say, thank you, Lord, and we want to run with it. So, Lord, I just give you back the praise for your word of truth. I thank you for the coming Messiah. We look forward to his kingdom being set up. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. And uh, again, we just want to give all glory and praise to you. I pray that your word really sticks with us through today as we, we meditate on these things. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.